0: Michigan criminal defense attorney Bill Amadeo is standing by in cell block S. The jail visit starts now on Shiawassee Radio, live from the Cofield Oil and Propane Studios. The following is a paid presentation. The views expressed do not necessarily represent those of the staff and management of Shiawassee Radio.
1: I'm Bill Amadeo from Madison Amadeo and Grable and Associates and the Shiawassee 6 and today I'm just gonna let it rip because I'm way behind on content that's what happens I've had an 83 hour week so far 83 this thing you put in 8 or 3 I don't know anyway it's been a hell of a week and I am way behind on content I gotta get moving on this stuff so today to appease Josh Strickland the live audience, I'm going to discuss Willow Avenue Teenage Years. And I don't know if we'll get through it all day. Let's get some content done. You know, let me tell you about Willow Avenue. I know some people heard me talk about this one before. I'm going to take a different angle on this. Because lately, I've just been telling people what I think. My um, filter's off. It's from too much work. And i'm usually very sensitive to the feelings of others but right now i'm just like well i'm going to give what i get and usually in any relationship i have personal professional i give much more than i receive and i'm trying to find balance there guys and i gotta tell you it's not easy and so much of that is because of willow avenue willow avenue and i know Tara 20 will argue this Ducktown in the 90s was the hood. Um, It just was, you know, let me tell you what was around there. We lived next to Pitney Village. And there was a brown rickety fence that separated our row home from Pitney Village. And Pitney Village was an absolute war zone. I saw my first person get killed at Pitney Village. I was almost killed walking down the alley in Pitney Village. And you know, for people that are talking shit, and I noticed people have said some things lately they didn't really go up in a bad neighborhood. Let me help you out. Ducktown in the 90s, in my opinion, was a living hell. I was not shipped off to Holy Spirit for high school. I went to AC. And getting the AC meant one of three things. You either took a jitney, You took the bus or you walked. Eventually I would walk, it was just safer that way. Mississippi Avenue, Dave Cruz, you know, and it was just not a good place to be. And I will tell you as a small white kid growing up there, it sucked. It was hell. It was a war zone. And what really motivated this particular blog was I was listening, I was in the gym, I was listening to Fast Car by Tracy Chapman. An amazing song came out when I was like in 8th grade or 7th grade or something. And that song is about escaping, escaping from where you are, escaping the life that you want to just break away from. Can you do it? And what Tracy Chapman, an amazing song, talks about is all the struggles all the reasons, all the excuses why we cannot make it to the next level. And clearly, I've made it to the next level, woohoo. We went from 109 North Willow Avenue to Stonebridge Drive. What a fun and convoluted journey that has been. And I want to be very clear because I am so grateful to the lessons I learned, but there were so many lessons I didn't need to learn along this journey. And when I hear my enemies talk shit, when I hear people say, oh, he's this or he's that, let me tell you something, dude. Many of the people have talked shit to me. I'll ask a few questions of you. Number one, have you ever had a gun put to your head? You ever felt the barrel of a gun go right into your eardrum? I know this is it. Have you? Have you ever been stabbed? You're almost been raped. I mean, I know we don't care about polygraphs and things like that in the criminal defense genre, but let's talk about what it's really like to be a victim. Because let me tell you what makes you tough, man. When you have become, when you were a victim, you've become this escaping, surviving those tactics, that's what scares the shit out of people and that's what I'm all about. It doesn't matter how much power I have or I got money in the bank or stocks, I'm still the same person I was when I was 15 years old and thank God for that and there's a few people I will show gratitude to that for, mainly my Aunt Mayor. but we'll talk about what Willow Avenue was like because it was hell there was pitney village there's the patsy wallace gym now you had your safe spots number one safe spot was the white house sub shop you were safe at the white house sub shop because all the cops were eating subs there you were okay there you had danger going to there and danger coming from there but in there was your moment of safety saint michael's church The intellectual criminals would know that you never hurt somebody by St. Michael's Church. The dumb don't care about that. And there's different levels of criminals, let me explain. Just like in high school, for those of you that have no clue about the real world, how they have honors and average and below average, there are elite criminals, there are average criminals and then you're dumb thugs. The elite criminal would never hurt you by St. Michael's Church. The below-average one, well, yeah, got some problems there. And the Alki, the Alki was a place of safety. That's where I learned how to box. Alki taught me so many lessons about life. Outside those three zones though, you know, there were there were zones of safety. And then if you look straight ahead, There was the red lights blaring off Trump Plaza signs. So I will tell you it's about Donald Trump. I don't care if you like him or not. To me, he told me to go to law school. He advised me to do things with my life and the Trump Plaza signs, that was your escape. Because amidst the war, amidst the hood, amidst the brutality was this amazing gambling cathedral. And when you looked up and saw those red lights, it was hope. It was pure hope. High school, and I go back to September of 1990, high school taught me so much. And we're gonna break a few things down today. Freshman year, you had sort of a melting pot. I played baseball in Bettner. And playing baseball in Ventnor, which was quasi-suburbs, we used to lie about my address. So I knew many of the Ventnor kids, but we never actually had a Ventnor address. We lied about that, which always raised eyebrows from the people of Ventnor. But my Aunt Rose lived in Ventnor, so we used to lie about that. Now I'm in high school, and Atlantic City High, boy, was it segregated. And those of you that followed me have heard me say this before. We had Brigantine and Atlantic City one way, and we had Vetner and Margate another way. And the school did everything they can to keep that place segregated. Um what it really was, guys, was a battle of socioeconomics. The Vetner and Margate kids went one direction, and the Atlantic City and Brigantine kids went another direction. And the brigantine kids had it somewhat safer than the Atlantic City kids because you know, you went over that tunnel. It wasn't the tunnel back then, but there was a way to get to Brigantine. There was one way in and one way out. But you basically were traveling to prevent the harm that the city had to offer. In Atlantic City, there were like barrows, if you would. Now, there was Back Maryland. Back Maryland is where murders occurred on a regular basis. Case closed. There was VAC, Virginia Avenue Courts. Dangerous place. Not as bad as Back Maryland, but it was bad. Um, Stanley Holmes Village, dangerous housing project. Pitney Village, where we lived, not as bad as Back Maryland, they would say, but it was pretty bad. Um, The thing about Pitney is many people were fighting to control the drug trade in pitney village and in pitney they had like different pockets of drug dealers um it was a very unique entity and to grow up in that and i'll tell you i have never even smoked a cigarette in my life i haven't drank i haven't smoked weed haven't done drugs i haven't smoked a cigarette all this shit was around me but my family really was protective of me. You've heard me say before I was the golden boy of the ghetto and that was really true. And We'll we'll get into that. Freshman year, um, you were drawn to the Vetner and Margate girls. And let me describe each one of these pockets of people, Brigantine, Atlantic City, Vetner and Margate. Margate was wealth, arrogance, these kids had a security about them because they had trust funds it didn't prevent their dysfunction but they had this basically arrogant personality because they felt protected by mommy and daddy's money and the only time they would come to the hood is if they were looking to buy drugs or getting you know be the cool kids for a minute betner was not as wealthy as Margate. These were people that used to pretend they had money. Um, but they really didn't. It was somewhat of the suburbs, but they were always inferior to the Margate people. But it was clear the vetner and Margate kids hooked up together. They had sex together. They befriended each other. And if little Amy Smith was going to date a boy and she was from Margate, they would never want her to date under the Ventnor socioeconomic status. They would usually want her to date within her own. The pretty girl from Ventnor would try to date the Margate boy to advance their socioeconomic situation. And this was like an unwritten code. You know, it wasn't just about who you found attractive or who you thought was cool. It was from an early age this learned behavior of who's got money, and these clicks start to form. Because as a child, you're thinking the cool kids are the tough kids, right? Now as you advance into high school, at least this high school, it was about who could afford those designer clothes versus who couldn't. And to bring Brigantine, Atlantic City, Ventnor, and Margate together and then separate them, And as a young child who was caught in the wrong place at the wrong time, we'll get more into that. It was a learning experience, man. It was a hell of a learning experience. You just, you watch and you study. And the Margate and Ventnor girls made it very clear that they were above your pay scale. Um, it was a very clear situation. You were a white kid from the hood. Let's talk about Latinx City. Atlantic City was violence. Atlantic City was danger. There were casinos. There were housing projects. There was gangs upon gangs. There was no chaotic drug trade. People getting beaten to death was not unusual. People getting pushed in front of a bus and getting killed for being in the wrong place at wrong time was not unusual. Tourists walking off the boardwalk too far and getting hurt. It was not unusual. These are things that just happened where I came from, and I know people challenges. Willow Avenue was hell, and I learned so much because in nineteen ninety, neighborhood really started to change more and more. Things weren't great in the eighties, but you know, in at Saint James. People you thought were tough, were Mike Chate and Donald Siglin and people like that, Chris Kramer. And these people became jokes now because now you learn what really tough was. Tough was the badass kid whose family has people in prison for gang violence in their third generation, Latin King. Or they are a Pitney Lion. These were kids that were hardened. These were kids that went to Harbor Fields at a very young age. We'll talk about Harbor Fields in a little bit harbor fields was juvenile detention these were kids that were in gins JINS was juveniles in need of services these were kids that had to grow up too fast and in the process of growing up too fast they learned brutality um i gotta tell you it was just it was rough atlantic city was rough back then Brigantine was like white trash. There were pockets of money in Brigantine. There were your intellectuals in Brigantine. They came in on the Brigantine bus. And the Brigantine kids, for the most part, they thought they were tough. They would like infiltrate Atlantic City a little bit and then find people that were tough in Atlantic City to try to you know, get through the day. Um, it was really a tough time, and I realized... First time I came home from high school, and I got my ass beaten on the Jitney. And I got beaten up pretty good. I got robbed. And I learned at this point, I couldn't fight. Like, I sucked at that point. I would get better fighting issues one-on-one. And, one. and I will tell you, if you get your ass kicked enough, you learn how to fight. That's why it's kind of funny when somebody screams at me in court. I'm like, okay, well, you're not a Pitney lion. You don't have a gun or a knife, so kiss my ass. But... I came home and my head was spinning and my nose was bloody my ears were messed up I gotta do my homework and I got brutalized pretty good that one day and my aunt looked at me and she was upset and she was crying and she was cleaning me up and she goes hey it's gonna be a tough few years but I need to know one thing what do you what's that Aunt Mary and let me explain who my Aunt Mayor was mary lee was the toughest woman i've ever known in my life that was one tough lady and the tracy chapman song kind of brings it back to aunt mary because when my grandmother died it was aunt mary who raised my mom it was aunt mary took care of my grandfather and the italian culture back then that's what happened aunt mary gave up everything for us and all the mistakes that were made with my mom, I kinda got punished for that because we weren't going to screw this one up. He's got a chance to do big things. We know this, we know we're in hell, but Aunt Mary was gonna be this tough, hardcore disciplinarian. And she said to me, Honey, I don't care that you got your ass kicked. I wanna know two things. Did they have a gun or a knife? And this day I said, no, she was okay. Was there more than one of them? I so said there were two. She said, did you stay and fight? I did. She's okay. As long as you stayed and fight, I'm proud of you. Now go take a bath. Do your homework. This will be okay. Now, I want you to think about this as a 14-year-old scared kid. The woman, the person you look up to, your parental figure. She doesn't care to get your ass kicked. What does Mary Lee Neri care about? That you didn't run from the fight. That you were a man. That you stood there and you tried to swing. She would later explain to me at 14 years old, you're a man of the house. We're gonna depend on you for finances. We're gonna depend on you for protection. She goes, and if somebody has a gun or a knife, it's acceptable to run. If there's more than one, it's acceptable to run. But if one person tries to attack you and you run from that fight, don't ever come in this house again. I'm raising a man, not a coward. So understand your ground rules, Billy. One-on-one, you never back down from anybody. Two-on-one, okay. Weapon, i got it and there was an exception to the rules like most things in law if they had a gun or a knife or it was a multiplier they were going to hurt a member of the family or they were going to hurt one of our animals then you cannot run from that situation aunt mayor told me that she would take a bullet to protect me and mom and it was instilled to me that I would have to do the same. And I accepted that at 14 years old age. It's just acceptance. And at 14, school sucks so bad, you know? Cause you had such a bad case of dyslexia. And I failed Spanish with Miss Battaglia, and I failed algebra with Miss Benelauer, and I'm ineligible for baseball, the one thing I was looking forward to. And the reason I failed these two courses at the time was, I couldn't see the words straight. And we learned later in life that having dyslexia and trying to learn a foreign language or algebraic formulas, it's like eating coffee, drinking coffee with a knife. It doesn't work. And I'd have to overcome that as time went on. But being ineligible for baseball freshman year, living in the war zone, there were many times you thought about killing yourself. You just did. And the neighborhood was changing in such a dramatic fashion. I'll say this, my Aunt Mare, absolute warrior. My mom was in the picture and mom was working in the casino. I love mom and mom, I know you're watching this and I miss you every day. But I will tell you, mom was always looking for love in the wrong places. And freshman year, she became involved with somebody, we'll just say the name Jay, And that took us on a weird trajectory. If I ever see a man hit a woman, I really have to think before I react. Because no man should ever put his hand on a woman. No man should ever touch a woman, a child, or an animal. Just shouldn't do it. And there were situations with mom and this individual where he hurt her. I witnessed domestic violence firsthand and I protected the victim from domestic violence, and I see so many victims of domestic violence stay in situations because they're either emotionally abused and it's a horrible version of learned behavior, or they need the support of the perpetrator for financial purposes. In this situation. Mom was a sad woman, she had me very young, she had me with my father, my father was just not meant to be a father, he's somebody who thankfully wasn't in my life, though I could have really used a strong male figure at this time living in the house, it wasn't going to be Bill Amadeus senior, thank god for that. I wouldn't be where I am if my father played a more vital role in my life. Jay on the other hand, who would come around now and then, he was garbage. But mom looked up to him. And I learned something about high school at this point. One of the reasons my mother cared for this individual was because he was a great athlete in high school when he was the cool kid in high school. And mom didn't get that. Mom didn't have the true high school experience. Mom got pregnant with me when she was a senior in high school. Mom had my grandmother die in her arms when she was 12 years old. Mom had social problems. And she found what she thought was love with Jay. And what Jay did was he would take her money. He would physically and emotionally abuse her. And this caused such a riff in the house because my aunt wouldn't allow Jay near the house. And my grandfather, who was aging at the point, who was a complete badass, would have just busted this guy up. And my grandfather who had died the next year, who was a strong personality in my life, he taught me how to really fight when I was getting my ass kicked. He taught me how to hit people in a certain spot. So he said, look, if you gotta protect your mom, this is how you're gonna do it. Now I want you to think at 14 years old, you're the white kid in an all black and Hispanic community. We are poor. Mom's in this abusive relationship. Grandpa is dying. Aunt Mary's trying to keep shit together. I'm trying to study and battle dyslexia, and I will tell you. Trump Plaza, man. Thank God for those signs because when you turned to Father Sullivan for help, which I tried, he basically told me, well, your family's white trash, and if you went the market, you wouldn't be in this. you went the Holy Spirit you wouldn't be in this situation. If you had enough money to live in veterinary market, you wouldn't be in this situation. And now I'm at odds with him because don't put down my family. My family was not white trash. Let me be really clear about that term, white trash. White trash is when you physically abuse a child. White trash is when you use drugs in front of a kid. Not having money does not make somebody white trash. We were not white trash. We were poor. There's a fucking difference between the two. Let's understand that. My aunt was keeping shit together, and at this point of life, you are just trying to survive. And I don't understand what nightmares going through, because my aunt had the weight of the world on her shoulders. She's trying to raise me. She feels that she failed with mom and mom's a really good, loving person, but she's looking for just a sense of belonging. She runs into Jay. Grandpa is dying. Grandpa and Aunt Mary had a bad relationship for a number of reasons. And I'm just trying to make it home safe and be with my animals and trying to study. And I can't read Spanish or algebra. I mean, I, you know, you're fighting on your way home. You're not doing good in school. You can't play baseball now. You're worried about protecting your mom. You're worried about surviving the hood, protecting your animals. This is my 14 year old self. Okay? Let me be really clear about that. That year changed me forever. I learned that year. The only the strong survive. You will not show weakness. If you're scared, you get cocky. You're walking down a bad neighborhood, you gotta pretend you're tough even if you're not. If you don't do that, they're going to hurt your family. And a lot of bad things happened that year. But I think the worst part was seeing my mother with this guy who wasn't worthy of her. Mom was smart. Mom was pretty. Mom was a talented singer. Didn't matter. She had no self-confidence. She loved me dearly, but she was looking for that love, that emotional connection that most people never find. And people settle, and that's really sad, you know? People will settle for what they believe is love, what they believe is something comfortable. I watched my mother long for attention and we had problems and it started at the age of 14. I think the thing that brought my mother and I closest together was when I went off to law school. And then she got really sick and was dying. I had to come home during that and we reconnected. Cause she was the best mother in the world until I hit high school. And when I hit high school, she came up to me. She said, you have two options, Billy. Okay, what are they? I could try to pay for Holy Spirit to go to Catholic school and take the bus there. Or I could save money to try to get us a house in Vetna and Margate. But if I if you pick choice B, you have a rough couple years. And I said to mom, I will take choice B. And I will work and sell my baseball cards and contribute to that house. But under a couple conditions. I'll make this sacrifice. I kind of see what I'm walking into. Going from Willow Avenue to AC High every day and back. But we've got to bring Aunt Mary and Grandpa. And we need to bring my animals. I will stay in the war zone to stay with my animals and Aunt Mary and Grandpa, but if we're going to do it as a team, I'm all in. I'm ready to take that sacrifice. And she goes, okay. So we were going to save money, but then Jay came around. And when Jay came around, he gave my mother something, the illusion of something that she had been lacking. So the money I had been saving like you put in our joint account the money she had been saving for Ventner it was gone because all went to him so he go gamble at the casino so he put Coke up his nose so he could beat her and rape her. that's what I experienced at a very young age and when I see a woman financially support a man, I get really sick in my stomach. I get this gnawing feeling, like this little electricity inside of me because I think back to my mom and Jay. And I think, wow. How could you pick such a piece of shit? How could you pick him over our family? And it caused a lot of problems. Mom and I had a very rocky relationship. I love my mother so much. I miss her every day if we're going to be real, and pull a band-aid off of this time period of my life, my aunt kept shit rocking. As mom got deeper with this guy, Aunt Mare got more strict with me. The only thing I could do was go to school, go to practice, and study. That was it. There were no parties for me there was no vehicle in the house there was basically this feeling of being isolated in the war zone and i would watch people get killed at pitney village i would watch this and just sit there in my little room my animals and i'm petting them and i'm scared they're going to be us one day are they going to hurt my animals and that Almost came. But um... One day, I was just in my room at 14 years old. And... I'm at this emotional breakdown point, right? I mean, part of me wants to kill my mom's boyfriend. He's hurting her. And at this point in life, I truly believe mom would have picked him over me. I had to call Vegas with that, but I'm pretty sure of it. He just tapped into something for her. I can't explain it, but she loved this guy dearly. And you want to take him out because you're hurt. You don't see anybody hurt your mother. I don't realize the financial consequences yet. I'm watching Aunt Mare cryers because Aunt Mary feels like a failure. Grandpop's dying, and I, this didn't help. I want to kill this guy. But I also want to protect her. And I'm like. Conflicted between. How do I protect my mom. Without breaking her heart. If I just take this guy out. Then what happens. Is that draw them closer together. Do I get charged. These are things that were going with my mind. This is the shit. No 14-year-old should ever have to go through. And you know. I gotta tell you. With our son, Max. Yeah, I work my balls off. He's never going to experience the shit I experienced. He is going to have a great life. He is going to be safe. He's going to be able to make his own choice. He's going to have freedom of choice. Just something we didn't have back then. Every sacrifice my aunt made for me comes into the way I play this game of life every day. Yes, it's Saturday, and yes, I've been to two jails already today, and i hit the gym already, and I'm working my ass off, because I remember Aunt Mare crying, telling me I had to do this. It doesn't matter where you are in life. It matters... What brought you to this place in life? It really does, you know? Because if I stop caring about cases, or I start going half speed, or I feel comfortable with the bank account or whatever, I mean, at that point, I gotta hang it up. I will play this game like my life depends on it every goddamn day. Because those lessons I learned at 14 years old. They don't leave you. Just because we could afford to go to the best restaurants. And are in a safe gated community. If that. Duck town in the 90s left you. Then I feel bad for you. And I feel bad for your clients. I wish it could leave. can't you learned at 14 to protect you learned at 14 to provide you learned at 14 to survive and that's all because of mary lee nary sophomore year something new would come to the picture in my world and that was dolores Gandia. and miss scandia what a talk. What a brilliant woman. She was a black woman that grew up in Virginia during a time of horrible racism, whose last name was Gandia. That was about the Dolores Gandia. She was tough, man. And sophomore year, I had English class with her and journalism class with her, and it was Miss Gandia who saw the pain and struggles I was going through. She pulled me to the side. She goes, Kid, you're different. Amadeo, you are different. I know there's horrible things going on. When I started having my first crushes, when the city girls start to like me, Miss Gandhi was going to quash that shit right there. There were so many situations. Because the veteran Market girls don't like me, right? I'm white trash. I don't fit. I don't have the look. I don't have the fit. Whatever it is, I just don't fit that mold. Now these inner city girls are coming out of the woodworks. And the Brigantine girls are starting to like me. And Gandy's like, "Nah, You're not going to wreck what you have with this. I'm sorry that life's going to suck right now. But no, Amadeo. That's not going to happen. I understand at time. That woman was protecting me from so many things you know and there's so many experiences I lost along the way but there were so many options she protected for me now I got these two powerful women in my life the Laura Scandia and Mary Lee Nary ones protect you at home and one is protecting you at school. And that was enough to get you through those jitney rides. That was enough to get you through those walks home. Grandpa died that year. And one of the last things my grandfather said to me was, protect the family. And don't run from the fight. Okay. Got you. The neighborhood was getting so bad. It was just... getting worse and worse and worse. And I'm working extra hours at St. James's Directory Center and I'm buying baseball cards. And... I'm starting to learn that mom is probably giving Jimmy. Oof, should, I come, should have said that name anyway. Giving this individual money, and um, I start giving money to Aunt Mare. So I'm like working with two accounts now. I'm giving Aunt Mare money, and I'm giving Mom money i'm not sure if mom's giving the money to jimmy names out cats out of the bag on that one couple things really happened that year that shook me Sophomore year use your illusion one and two came out guns and roses and i say that to buy those tapes september 17th 1991. i went into ocean one and I literally got my ass kicked going home that day, but I got to protect my um, tapes, and that was that. Baseball was weird. There were two kids, Aaron Bronstein and Don Siglin. Aaron Bronstein had to be one of the most that people I've ever seen in my life. Good ball player, but he just took a frying pan smash smashed him in the face. And Siglin was like a Ventner pretty boy. Um... And these two just couldn't stand me. And I'm going to tell you guys, if you're watching this. I took a lot of shit from them. I was dealing in a war zone. And I knew if I got in a fight with them. they were always verbal. I didn't have the balls to do anything really. It was always verbal with them. They'd like pick at you. But I always knew if I got into a fight with the baseball kids. I'd get kicked off baseball. And that's what I wanted to do at this point. Aaron and Don. I want you to thank God. That... I care enough about baseball because I will tell you, there were several times I had planned just to destroy both your worlds. And I will say this, my only hope is I could see one of you assholes in court at some point or you sign consent forms, we could go. I view you both as pieces of shit. You know what was going on with me at home. You know what was like watching my grandfather die, or almost getting raped by gangbangers going home while you two pieces of shit went home to Vetner and Moorgate and you made your little jokes. I swallowed a lot of shit to play baseball. And I was going over at my aunt. I just want to fight these people. And she's like, you have so many fights going on but you have to maintain yourself for baseball, Billy. <clears throat> and back then they probably would have beat me in a fight. I wasn't a great fighter. I mean, I think today I could smash them up from the looks of them. They haven't lifted a weight. I think they've been left in those 12-ounce cans of beer, but um, when I go under other people, I know, I mean, they're stalking my profile. There's a lot of I... anger towards those two that I don't want to revive. Rodney King verdict came out, so i here. And I've talked about that in a separate blog. You haven't seen fear till you walk down Ducktown after the Rodney King verdict, being a white kid. That was survival time. Something else happened. There was a lesson I learned about the lol that day. There was this one kid from the neighborhood. Black kid. He stole a car. And he went to Harbor Fields. And when he went to Harbor Fields with his juvenile detention, he was never the same again. And there were two things that happened with him that year. One, he stole the car. But before he stole the car, he had a black leather jacket. And this black leather jacket was stolen out of his locker. And me and a few other people saw who stole it. And he looked at us and goes, guys, did you see my black leather jacket? And we knew who took it. The scumbag who stole it and i didn't say anything and i didn't say anything out of fear because you can't be a rat and i went to talk to father sullivan about it and i said to him this kid had his jacket stolen and he asked us who did it i didn't say anything and he goes we should be proud of yourself you think jesus would do that you know sully you piece of shit I don't think Jesus would have been in a situation where he was going to get stabbed by ratting on a gangbanger who stole this kid's jacket. If Jesus had been in that situation or if your fat ass would have been in that situation, we could talk about that. I try to always do the right thing, I really do. But as a scared 15 year old kid, Telling an individual who stole their jacket may get you killed by the individual who stole the jacket. <clears throat> and this poor kid, he loses his jacket. You can just see the life out of him. He saved up for that jacket. And then later that year, he gets caught stealing a car and he goes to Harper Fields. Now, ironically, one of the Margate assholes also stole a car that year. Same offense. The black kid from the hood steals a car and the right wealthy kid from the suburb steals the car (coughs) black kid got a year in harbor fields and his life was never the same you probably wonder what the white kid got and i learned the value of a criminal defense lawyer that day the white kid had to write a 250 word essay on why it's bad to steal cars. Same offense. Wrap your head around that for a minute. You know, it's funny. As of prosecuting some cases now, if I see a past police polygraph, I'm going to dismiss a case because. I don't ever want to prosecute this person. But if somebody is truly guilty and the evidence supports that, and some people could be harmed by that, there are people we gotta go balls to the walls on. Prosecute towards the evidence, not towards a political spectrum. And I watched this kid's life be destroyed because he couldn't afford a good lawyer. I watch this other asshole who's been in out of rehab and is a piece of garbage. The family has money. Get a 250-word essay and laugh about it and actually get laid on it. Because he was a badass from the suburbs and stole the car. And then he got out of it. That turned some girls on back then, huh? Meanwhile, well, my friend. Never to say. He's been out of prison his whole life. He set the tone. What's gonna happen, don't we? Juveniles need to be treated different than the system. Man. Just do Junior year. I'm skipping over a lot, but you guys don't wanna hear me talk all day. Junior years where life just changed completely. Miss Candia was such a powerful influence. And then grads came. Keith Gradziel. he was a young teacher, he made a difference, he wanted me to try out for Mock Trial, and Mock Trial changed everything in my world. First of all, I tried out for the team and made it, which was shocking because only the Ventnor Market kids made Mock Trial. Like the kids at on Model UN and stuff, they were the Mock Trial kids. I was out of the blue. But I thought pretty fast on my feet. I had some balls. I mean, there was a few things that were resonating. Remember Elliot Geller, the rabbi's son? Real asshole back then. He wanted me off the team. And I had enough. I could not stand being on mock trial at that point. I wanted to just quit. And Miss Scandia saw me and grabbed me by the throat and told me, You go back up there. You don't let anybody ever chase you away from something you earned. So now, do I deal with Gallagher's bullshit and his group of idiots? Or do I please Miss Scandia? There's nothing quite as amazing as a powerful woman being in your life. And I talk about Miss Scandia and Mary Lanier when I say those two. Because both of them set the tone, man. And I stayed on my trial. And I told Geller to go fuck himself. And, um... <laughs> you know, junior year was so weird. Because now you came home later at night. And... Tuesdays and Thursdays. It's a little safer to come home later at night, believe it or not, as opposed to when school just got out. But you had like this sense of pride, like you were doing something. And I realized everybody wants to belong to something, right? And I had to choose between mock trial and baseball. We had to make a choice there. And Gandy and Aunt Mare said to me, I want you to focus on mock trial completely. I love baseball. Baseball was love of my life at that point. But they saw something in litigation that I may not have had in baseball. To I was an okay baseball player. But there was something special about me at Mock Trial. And I just remember, you know, you're walking Odie and Scruffy, my two dogs back then, Amazing Dogs. And I lived with my Mock Trial books. And I finally get invited to this party. And it was like you broke through. Because it was like a Margate party, right? And that was such a big deal. I had never lost a mock trial tournament I was in. What they did at mock trial was they picked teams, you were playing over defense, and if your thing got cold, your side went. And in every tournament I've ever been in, we won the States junior year, and we made it to the state finals senior year. Every time I was, my number was cold, we won. Undefeated, I was something special at mock trial. And it didn't mean a lot to me. What meant a lot to me was pleasing Aunt Mary and pleasing Miss Candia. And I'm invited to this party. Because they're looking at you differently, these people. They know you're talented. They don't like you. But they're going to use you because they want mock trial to advance their own college resumes. And I got invited to this party. It was the first market party I was invited to. And my aunt was pretty excited about it. She wants me to get all dressed up for this party, and um, had a relative who was gonna drive me. We have a car in the family. And the relative didn't show up. And I'm sitting there just waiting, hoping he's gonna drive me to this party, and I'm finally gonna be accepted. and, And my aunt just pats me on the shoulder. She goes, "Honey." You're not going to make this party tonight. She has the mock trial book in her hands. I want you to go up to your room and study. And I want you to go kick some ass. There's going to be a lot more parties in your future, honey. Don't worry about this. I know this is rough right now. And I remember going up to my room with my animals. And I'm staring at Pitney. And the gunshots, like the booms and cannons going off, right? listening to the song Black by Pearl Jam. And that's when music and studying started becoming one of the two, you know, simultaneous with me. Today when I'm working on briefs, I'll have my headphones in. And um, that started then. And I'm listening to Black, and it's such a sad song. Listening to Black, listening to Tracy Chapman "Fast car. Thinking about this party I can't go to and the crushes that I had are not going to happen. And I'm with my animals and I'm studying my mock trial book. And Aunt mayor said to me, as she was fighting back tears, this point of the mock trial book is going to get us out of this. That party's not going to mean a goddamn thing. You can remember that party 10 years from now, but you remember this. She was right and wrong. I remember the party. Remember the feeling of not going. Let's learn the value of working hard when nobody else is working. And um, I guess we'll end today. I mean, there's a lot where it goes into all this, but I think mock trial is where things really just evolved. You found that one thing in the world. Guys, every one of us has something in the world that makes us special. The problem is, we forget about that thing. There were three things that I found peace in during the chaos. Law, writing, and baseball. And sadly, two of those things had to collide to pick a pair? I don't know if I was good enough to do anything with baseball. Some people will tell you I sucked. Some people will tell you I was amazing. I could go on and on about baseball and travel teams I played on and this and that, but I knew there was something special in those low books. The first time I picked up the mock trial book. I guess it's what it's like when somebody who's like a born-again picks up the Bible for the first time when they found religion. It just felt like this was home. It felt like this is the thing that's going to take us from point A to point B. I felt like this synergy as I held that book. And I saved those books. And it was one of the few things from high school I saved was my mock trial books. They always had a special spot in my heart. And um, when Hurricane Sandy hit, those books, amongst other things, got destroyed. And I kind of looked at that moment in time. It's like, you know, I just don't think I'll really be going back to New Jersey. I took care of my aunt. Got the house done. Did everything. The responsibility has always been there. Not a lot about senior and junior year, but I, I'm going to end it right now because I've been almost an hour and... Um, I don't know. More <sighs> like a therapy session than a vlog, right? But... Those high school years, the ghetto, the fear. I guess I'm just not traditional. I just can't fit the mold, you know, I don't, I guess I don't want to. You know, you get invited to these big time parties now and people you used to be weird for saying stuff, but now you're brilliant for saying it. And there's a group of people that hate you for saying what you what is on your mind. But I think the thing I'm proud of right now, despite the transition from that to this, that still exists. I'm glad we got money, we got financial security. I'm glad I'm deemed as this powerful lawyer. But I am still the same person I was back then hasn't changed one goddamn bit and i miss aunt mary and i miss mom and i miss grandpa but i miss miss scandia and i'm so grateful for the lessons i've learned but when i open up about these time periods i think the only way for it to resonate is for me to be as real as possible and my perception may not be somebody else's perception but I'm trying to just be as honest as I can about these memories, and they can be painful. Recently, um, there was a Pitney Village group online, and I tried to join it, and I got asked by somebody, "Who the hell are you?" And I told them where I live. I saw I was right there. We don't know you. rock are not somebody into this group. Let me tell you, I've argued before the Michigan Supreme Court. I've won capital cases and jury trials. I've had major cases dismissed on juries. Not being included in that Facebook group stung. That was somebody saying, you're not one of us, even though you live there. And I tried to explain this to my friends with money. And the consensus was, why would you want to be part of that group? If well, I really do to be part of that group, it was just connecting to my youth. And, um, such is life. If you haven't done it, I think self-reflection is a critical thing everybody should do. Gotta know your value, man. I know your worth. You can't forget where you came from. And you can't let where you came from destroy where you are. I guess that's how I want to end this. Have a good weekend.